0: Good morning. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10, 14 and 15. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made from hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. If you're at home still standing up, go ahead and take a seat. Um, you might already be. If you're laying back, well, go ahead and sit up. If you're at home. <laughs> I know how it is sometimes. You might, be, you might be laying back in that couch. Go ahead and sit up. Uh, my kids aren't doing that at home. They're not doing that. They're sitting up right now. I know they are. Nana's at home too, so I know they're sitting up right now. I know it. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, good morning, Christ Central. Uh, my name is Omari Hill, and I have the privilege of being with you this morning to, uh, to dig into God's word today um hopefully what i have for you this morning will bless your hearts as we go into god's word there's always something for us and i trust that uh, he has something to edify us this morning and to restore our faith our trust in him so this has been um, this has been a crazy year we all know this uh, 2020 has been a roller coaster to say the least and um one of the things that sort of happened underneath our watch were a few natural disasters. Uh, one of them that we knew about for a while happened in California. And uh, so you know, it's not enough that you got a pandemic and that there are you know, other tensions and such happening, division and such within the population of our country, but you got natural disasters on top of that. But other than the loss of life, I would say that another cost that is too high when it comes to natural disasters is the loss of home. And you watch these videos of people who are trying to pull things together after a natural disaster as they kind of find some memoirs that may have been there uh, in the rubble, uh, pictures of grandparents, pictures from anniversaries when the first child was born, or they get a a piece of the board from the, the bedroom where mom would measure the, the, you know, the, the, the child's height as they were growing, different things, just trying to piece these things together. And then you watch these, the, these videos, and maybe you've been through it, where you've tried to, uh, uh, you see people trying to adjust to relocating, trying to make a new life, some new memories for themselves as they uh, go into a place that was not their own. Or maybe it's a new city, even a, a new country. And they're trying to rebuild. And there's a statement that we hear often, which says that home is where the heart is, right? But then, how are you supposed to live when your heart's been ransacked? When your home, your heart has been torn asunder. Um, how are you supposed to live? What are you supposed to do? How can you be at peace if you're doing everything within your power just to hold your heart together? Your home matters, and even as I say that statement, I realize that that is not just something that we say among ourselves, but it's a popularized statement. Your home matters, and it's not just the model of Hallmark Christmas movies, which there are a lot of them, 24-7. We may have them playing in our home, uh, these Hallmark Christmas movies, but but it's not just the model of those different movies, but, but it's also the model of our mainstream movies, uh, mainstream films and two of the biggest ones were written by the same guy named John Hughes and uh, he wrote uh, some of the best films of all time in my book you know so I'm born in the 70s so uh, that means I came up in the 80s so I love The Breakfast Club love Pretty in Paint love Ferris Buto's Day Off um, all those movies were written by John Hughes but he also wrote some of the most popular Christmas movies of all time. Two of them you know about. Uh, Home Alone, which you're going to hear some from next Meet from Pastor Josh. It uh, was written by John Hughes. And then he also wrote, as you probably guessed it, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Um, and sometimes, you know, because of the, the stress of life, we need a, a little comic relief. Right, just to, you know, when life gets a to be a hot mess. We need something to make us laugh, something to kind of draw us out of ourselves for a minute, and maybe even look at the, the real things of life, but you know, make fun of it sometimes. You know, as people say, we laugh just to keep from crying. right? And sometimes we need to do that. Well, in Christmas Vacation, this movie, if you've seen it, uh, and you know, I realized as I picked this movie, I was like, wow, this is one that um, you can't sit down and watch with your little ones. But, <laughs> but now, I don't know if you can do that with Home Alone either. I watched Home Alone the other day with my students, and I was just like, "Whoa, they dropped a few words in that thing." I'm like, "Yikes!" Um, and I had to apologize to my students, and they were just, they were just kind of like, uh, "You know, we're okay. We're okay, Mr. Hill. We're fine." Um, but you know, Christmas Vacation has got you know some some colorful uh, illustrations and examples and language and stuff like that in there. So um, so if you were like, if you went online, if you're one of those people, and you're like, "Oh, I want to watch the movie before." You know, before hearing the sermon and, and my kids are sitting with me and we're all excited and you played that thing, I'm sorry. I'm just going to apologize. I <laughs> there should have been a warning about that. But anyway, uh, in Christmas Vacation, if you watch this thing, you know, it's the Griswolds. And this is the third time that we've seen them. We saw them in Vacation. We saw them in European Vacation. And now here they are in Christmas Vacation. And many people have said that this is probably the best one out of all three that's arguable, but um, this family, Clark, Ellen, Audrey, and Russ, right, they come back to us again. And by the way, I—you know this is nuts, right? these, these movies, these three movies in particular, why do the kids keep changing? Yeah. The kids keep changing over and over again. But it's like, you know, Russ is like, first Russ is like, this high, then he gets this short. I'm just like, how does he get shorter over time? Most people grow up, not down. I don't understand that one. Um, you know, but, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Anthony Michael Hall. I think he was the best Russ of all time. But um, in any case, uh, but Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo come back and they, they play the, the mom and dad, Clark and Ellen. And uh, so they, they you know, bring their roles back and of course they don't disappoint. And basically in this movie what you see is Clark Griswold working day after day, unnoticed by his boss uh, for his achievements, or for anything at all. Right? His boss doesn't even know his name. Uh, he's, he's unknown and he's uncelebrated, and he feels that if he can sort of check off the boxes at home, maybe, just maybe he'll be a hero to his wife and to his kids. And so this whole movie, the whole movie, you know, you see Clark trying to make the perfect Christmas for his family, and there's some hilarious things happen, right? But what's going on with Clark? What I think is that he's searching for validation. Right? What you see is that Clark is searching for validation. He's, he's searching for belonging at home. And certainly, he's not alone in that search. I mean, how many of us have just gone through so many hot things, hot, a hot mess in life, right? And we thought that if I could just get home there, I would feel like someone. There, I would be validated. There, I won't feel torn down and torn asunder, right? But right? home is where the heart is, and my home is where I can return to reconnect to my own heart and to feel like something again. Many times, we're disappointed. Um, we're not alone in this. You know, one movie critic points out that uh, in Christmas Vacation and in Home Alone and uh, John Hughes' other movie, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Uh, He says this, he says, John Hughes used the trappings and traditions of the Christmas holiday to make a case for the home as an idealized destination, a status symbol, and a personal fortress worth protecting. The holidays, however, are a time when being home becomes necessary, even desirable. No matter how you feel about your family, it's hard to resist that pull to gather together, to see old faces and take stock of the year. I'm going to catch this part. This is what he says. The idea of home as a place to finally be at rest and away from the stress of travel is instantly relatable. And the film exploits that to an insanely comic degree. So, you know, Hughes, you know, he could exploit this idea of home as a refuge from the restless pace of life because we all know what that's like. We all know what it's like. And Clark soon discovers that his home isn't mess-proof, and neither are ours. You know, for, for many, uh, your homes have been disturbing, They've been ransacked, they've been degrading. Right? It's maybe, um, maybe no longer the, the place, the refuge, that you once thought that it would be. And this life that we've been doing this past year in 2020 living under stay-at-home orders, right? it, it, it's made that whole reality even more plain to you. You know, for some of us, like, we've been at home, we're just like, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in a hot mess, and I can't get out. It's right? so like, I don't, I, don't, I don't have the, the normal outlets that I had, the places that I could go, and the people that I could get to just to get away are no longer available, and now I'm stuck in this home. This is where my heart's supposed to be, and it's jacked up. What am I supposed to do? How can I go on? How can I live in peace instead of bitterness if my home is a mess? Right? And, and, we, and not just our homes, but we've, of course, we have felt this stress sort of pressed down on us as the pandemic has spread over our entire planet. Right? This Earth, which is our home, has also felt like a hot mess because of disease. Many of us have found little validation in returning to our homes, which in, in that we could also include our own bodies. So not just the world, not just our houses, our families, our roommates and such, that home situation, but also our bodies. Are we finding it hard to return here, especially in this season when we tend to overeat or undereat. And, you know obsessed about like what we look like and you know many during this time of year so you know sometimes some some people have already gotten news from the doctor about you know their their health and things like that well it's like this isn't feel like christmas how can i return home and feel validated within myself within my body or even within my own heart when i get there and open the door i find a hot mess How can we live with peace and with power when the degrading conditions of life have followed us home? I want to suggest to you this morning that the peace of God can empower our lives as we give ourselves to some particular commitments. And I'm going to share those commitments with you this morning. Those commitments are a commitment to truth, a commitment to courage, and a commitment to pleasure. Yeah, yeah, I like that last one. That's good. A commitment to pleasure. You know, just, hey, you know, like, preacher, I can do that. I can be committed to pleasure. I know how to do that. Um, but, you know, so but that's a, the co- commitment to truth, to courage, and to pleasure. All right, let me break those things down. So when it comes to, when it comes to truth, what do I mean about, what, about that? Um, it's, it's really hard. To enjoy any kind of peace when you're in denial. So here so here's an example. When when you've hurt someone, right, and, and and but you deny it, then there's no peace because that guilt is on you the whole time, right? You just you never admitted it. So now you just walk around in guilt. So half the reason why we get so agitated and anxious about our lives is because we forget the truth about our lives. Which is that it is they are Imperfect and vulnerable, right? I mean, look at again at verse one. Uh, And for those of you who follow along, sorry, that was uh, at Second Corinthians. It's in Second Corinthians, chapter five. So if you look here at verse one, it says, uh, "For if we know, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, right, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan." Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. See, Paul calls our bodies, our earthly homes, tents. He calls them tents, right? Tents are temporary. They're they're vulnerable to the elements. Some of you, like me, uh, drove along 277 this morning. You know that we have homeless neighbors right now that are living along 12th Street. They know all about life in tents right? And during Paul's day, a lot of people made their homes in tent dwellings. Like, that was the norm. Not everybody had brick and mortar during that time, right? This is, it, was, it was normal for people to live in tents. And, and in today's times, you know, we have to work just a little bit harder to sort of imagine ourselves living in a tent and what that looks like. And unless you're a camper, you know, and you like that sort of thing, you like to go out into the wild and uh, stay and sleep under a camp and underneath a tent and Uh, risk being mauled by a bear. That's your thing. You like to do that, you know, for um, uh, five days in a row. That's great. That's great. Uh, But even then, you eventually get a chance to turn home, right? So I mean, you you get to leave uh, that tent and go back to a more stable home. So we have to kind of stretch our imagination just a little bit as we think about what it feels like to live in a tent. I mean, your home is your home. But when you have, like, mosquitoes or a cold breeze that comes through that thing, I mean, and it interrupts your comfort, you begin to groan. your, Your body is your home, but when your muscles ache and your mirror is not smiling back at you, you groan. The place for validation and rest requires so much upkeep and so much protection to the point where it can be discouraging so if if our bodies and our lives are like tents uh, you know then we should expect them to be vulnerable if we commit to this truth if we commit to keeping this truth before us then Maybe, uh, then maybe we would not be so, so easily taken uh, by disappointment or devastation or bitterness when our homes don't give us the stable peace that we want. After all, they're tense. They can't give you the stability that you want. So, you know, some funny things happen, of course, in this movie. You see this, right? Uh, you know, Clark's trying to build this situation. <laughs> uh he he gets a tree and then out of this tree comes a killer squirrel. And then uh you know he wants lights and then uh but you know the lights finally work but it kills Aunt Beverly's cat. And it you know he, and then when he finally gets the lights he's they're all standing there and they're celebrating and he looks to his side and there's his cousin Eddie who just showed up out of nowhere. Um you know and cousin Eddie leaves extra excrement you know on his front lawn. Um and, and it's like, you know, it's just there's a couple of times, just a few times, when Clark is tempted to give up on Christmas. Right? He's just tempted to give up on his home. Like, I'm done. <laughs> and so, but then his wife, Ellen, you know, she, you know, um, awesome wife that she is, you know, she reminds him that, uh, that he sets standards that are just too high for any family event to live up to. Just too high. Right, and then, and then she also says a statement to him. She says, you know, she's like, it's Christmas, right? We're all miserable, <laughs> okay? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's Christmas. No, but you're not alone. Right? She, she, there's a statement of solidarity. But perhaps we've had just, um, if we, we feel that, if, if we had just a little bit more peace, then we could come to terms with the imperfection and the vulnerability of our lives. Just a little bit more. And I'm not trying to be glib. Just so I, even if I say this, when I say this, when I, when I say that, you know, embrace this truth, commit to this truth that our lives are vulnerable. I'm, I'm not just saying, hey, look, it is what it is. All right? It's Christmas. We're all in misery. Right? You know, just accept it. No, that's not at all what I'm saying, and that's not what Scripture is saying. Scripture says that while we are still in this tent, We groan, right? We're burdened. We can be burdened without disconnecting ourselves from our bodies and trying to master our lives and and the people that are in them. There's, There's a better way for us to be burdened, a better way for us to groan. Instead of dwelling in bitterness and disillusion and defeat, we can hold reality with gentle hands, and looking in the, in the eyes, and ask without groaning, what do I do next? What is for me to do? And admittedly, it takes courage to ask that question, because you don't know what's going to be on the other side of that answer. And that's why we have to commit to courage. Okay, so, you know, you know, we see this with Clark, right? You know, he, he groans, like he literally cusses under his breath several times. Again, children, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, by accident. Um, but, you know, when the lights don't work and when Eddie shows up, right, Clark is done. <laughs> so he groans, and yet he's still driven by this hope that he can create a, a Christmas memory that, that'll earn his family's admiration. And he's still driven by something, and uh, he, he thinks back to uh, a, a time, but, well, if you watch the movie, you'll see that there's this, you see that, remember that the time where he's, he's locked away uh, in the attic, right, and So so he literally feels burdened because his family forgot him. Right? He's, he's left home alone in the attic. And yet, while he's there, he finds this old film reel of a, a childhood Christmas memory, You know, and he sees himself, and it kind of looks like the Wonder Years or something like that. And uh, he's playing around, and uh, his, you know, his his dad is like putting gifts in the back of the car and all that stuff. And it just, you know, he's he's watching it, and he starts crying, and uh, because it's a happy memory for him. And then, as you watch this, it becomes very clear that what Clark is trying to do in creating this Christmas event for his family is he's trying to recreate something from his old home. He's trying to bring something from his own home and bring it to his family. God has heard our groanings. And notice what he does for his children. He doesn't play the old film for our encouragement, but he opens up the future. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. And uh, you know what? I'm going to read from this because I realize I had the new American standard. Here we go. Verse 4 says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. See, our Heavenly Father won't bring us back to Eden, right? Like what Adam and Eve had before sin and death were, even in the picture, before sin and death entered into our homes, no home into something greater, right? What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Our glory will be greater than what Adam and Eve experienced, what they, even, what they could have ever known. They were vulnerable to sin, and they were vulnerable to death and to Satan. Paradise, get this. I if you read this correctly, you understand what's being explained to us in Scripture. Paradise was always at risk. When the new creation comes, when Jesus finally comes again, Fear and groaning will die right along with death itself. So we intuitively, we intuitively know that, that we were made for something better than what we have right now. Right? We, we, know we, 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 we have this desire for a greater glory. We, we know that everything that we have right now, that what we call home is simply not enough. Right? We needed just a little bit more room, just a little bit more life to get to what we know we were designed for. And but, so and this is hilarious and yet a tragic scene where uh, Clark is, is caught uh, by his own son flirting with the perfume girl at the department store. And, and, you know, and then later, under the same under the stress, right, of just of everything, you know, the stress of trying to make Christmas just right, uh, Clark begins to fantasize about this same perfume girl, you know, swimming in the backyard pool. This same pool that he's wanting to, uh, that he wants to buy with his Christmas bonus for his family. Right? This, this is the thing that he, he wants to, to use to impress his family, and, and yet he's having fantasies about of adultery. Right? You know, Showing up faithfully to the present realities of our life can be difficult. And sometimes we are driven into a world of fantasy because we know that we were made for something more, that this is not enough. But, but the way that sin works is, we begin to look at things maybe that are that are harmful for us, that are not the best things for us. But yet, underneath all that, what we know, we know intuitively that um, that our, our bodies were um, supposed to be connected with something greater, that our homes are supposed to be something greater. But we don't have the power to make it happen. When we face these difficult realities, right? Um, and we think about the future, I think we intuitively know that we were made for more than just floating about in the sky. Right? Because that, that sort of thing doesn't motivate us. Because we, we, we think about that. You know, oh, you know, paradise is one day, you know, we're going to shed this mortal coil and uh, fly about as like, like spirits and, you know, who knows what that's going to be like. We'll just be these souls detached from our bodies flying about. But our future glory, if we understand God's word correctly, our future glory is not one of being disconnected from our bodies. It is not one of being disconnected from all physical things. If that were true, that would discourage you, right? That's not, that's not truly motivating. That doesn't give you the the, uh, the, the, the strength that you need to, to stay present within the difficult realities of your present home, that does, doesn't do that, right? Why should you invest in something that will eventually be done away with? You know, all these physical things, it's going to be gone soon. So like, who cares? But God tells us that. We are going to be further clothed, not unclothed. Hey, don't, see, see, don't we see... God's son himself in the manger, clothed in a body that's just like ours, and then raised after his death in physical glory. And so how how much does, does, does God want us to take courage from our future glory? Well, I'll tell you how much he wants us to be encouraged by that. He sent us a guarantee, a deposit for that future glory. He sent us his spirit, his spirit to dwell among us in our messy homes as a, as a guarantee for that home that's coming. The spirit of Christ moving in and out of our bodily tents, right? It's, right, it's, it's nothing small. I mean, the spirit of, of Christ is not Cousin Eddie, <laughs> okay? This is, we're, we're talking about uh, of the spirit of the living God, okay, okay? I, 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 there's just some truths of scripture, when you, come up, when you come upon it, you're like, I can't really break this down. This is, there's so much here, and there's so much to unpack here, I don't know, I don't even have the words to say it. Let me borrow from someone who's a, a, a lot better than I am, an African theologian, one of our church fathers, Athanasius, he, in, his, in his book, On the Incarnation, speaking about the, the coming of Jesus in, in the flesh, Um, He says this, let me read this to you. He says, and now the very corruption of death no longer holds ground against human beings because of the indwelling word, that is the spirit of Christ. In them, right, believers through the one body, right? That one body, which is Jesus. Now here's this illustration he gives, I love this. As when a great king has entered some large city and made his dwelling in one of the houses in it, such a city is certainly made worthy of high honor. And no longer does any enemy or bandit descend upon it, but it is rather reckoned worthy of all care because of the king's having taken residence in one of his houses. So also does it happen with the king of all, coming himself into our realm and dwelling a body in a body like the others, Every design of the enemy against human beings has henceforth ceased, and the corruption of death which had prevailed formerly against them perish. For the race of human beings would have been utterly dissolved had not the master and savior of all, the Son of God, come for the completion of death. We can commit holding to the truth about our earthly homes and also commit to the the courage that comes from the the glory of our heavenly home because of what Christ has done for us and because of what the spirit, the indwelling word is doing in our lives, in our earthly homes. And as we commit to these things, then we we can ask that question. What do I do next? What do I do? How do I remain committed? And and how do I have peace in the midst of this home that is so vulnerable and at risk to sin and death and to Satan? Paul gives us a vision. Verse 9, he says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has, been, for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All right, so, so this is how we recover peace right, and give life when our homes have been ransacked. We make it our aim to please God. That almost feels counterintuitive. You almost think, like, okay, wait a minute, I, need, I just need to focus on myself. Just focus on self. Like, my, my stuff is, things are crazy. Like, I need help, like, now. I just need to just focus on myself and get myself together forget about God and everybody else. Paul says, making it our aim to please God. When you've been unhinged from your body, whether that's due to your own unfinished goals or the trauma, hey. Disoriented from your home because of division, divorce, or natural disaster, you need to be reoriented. Hey, Clark Griswold, you know, he feels this, uh, this anxiety and he's disoriented before the Christmas dinner, right? And because he seems to have lost control over everything and so he tries to reorient himself. You remember? Yet he's at the, 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 the dinner table, and he tries to reorient himself and his family to the, the Christmas tradition, and he asks his Aunt Beverly to, to say grace at the table, right? To say what? The blessing, right? And then another mess is made, the, <laughs> because then she didn't recites uh, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yet this is, this is what we tend to do. As we're trying to reorient ourselves, right? As we're trying to reorient our lives, reorient ourselves, uh, instead of reorienting ourselves to God's pleasure, we pledge our lives to other kinds of pleasures, to our nation, to entertainment, to sex, food, sleep, justice, family. Right? All these things are good. There's nothing wrong with them. But they become idols when when, when we're not seeking to please God through those things. And and these these idols are subject to the same things as our bodies. They're vulnerable, just like us. So it doesn't make any sense to reorient ourselves to something that is temporary and vulnerable, just like us. If if the problem is, is wrestling with your own vulnerability and trying to gain some kind of power then wouldn't you want to reorient yourself to something that is stronger? Why give yourself to something that can't help you? (laughs) But that's what we do all the time. When we call out to these things to to rescue us, uh, there's nothing that can be said. They can't help us. They can't respond. This would be nothing but silence. But Paul is also telling us that we were made to please God. whether at home or away. When we're finally at home with the Lord, he says, what are we going to be doing there? Pleasing God. While we're away from him, what do we do? Please God. It's what we were made to do. So in the here and now of our corruptible home, we uh, need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to do whatever God calls us to do. But if we're going to do that, we have to learn how to listen. Right? See, the apostle, he had his own callings. And you see there in the rest of the chapter, uh, I skipped some verses, but you see the, you know, the apostle kind of breaks down some of the things that he's been called to, and I think by extension, the rest of the church. Um, but the apostle has his callings, and we, and we have our own. Each of us is called to something or to some things. But we need to listen to God. If we would seek to please him, we have to know how to Listen. Clark's boss, his boss, right, he's, again, he, uh, over and over again, it's just, it, <laughs> you see these painful examples that his boss could care less about him, right? It's his boss just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't even know who he is, uh, doesn't care about the things that he's done, he can't remember his name, and he even replaced his Christmas bonus with, a, what was it, a certificate to the Jelly of the Month Club? You know, just like, <laughs> and it's, at that point, Clark gets out, he's just had it, like, he's done. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> And then, you know, and then Eddie actually kidnaps his boss <laughs> and brings him to Clark's house. This, this movie's crazy. Uh, and, and, but, then, but then when he brings the boss to the house, then the boss finally admits that the little people are more important than the bottom line. Right? He admits his mistake, and he's like, you know, um, the bottom line is important, but it's not important if we forget the little people. But God doesn't have to be abducted to give love to the little people. God doesn't have to be kidnapped. Think about this. If, if a dignitary promoted your work on social media, you would flip out. If a celebrity showed up at your home or asked you out on a date, you would lose your mind. Even if you're married, you lose your mind, right? It's just like you were like, what? If God is the eternal self-existent creator of the universe, Brett, how could little vulnerable people like you and I bring him any pleasure whatsoever? And yet, and yet, are you depressed or afraid you can please God? Are you an addict or abused? You can please God. Are you worn out, restless, unruly, distorted, disgusted, deceived, lonely, or longing with groans that words can never express? You can please God. The little people matter. (laughs) And, And we will know it and we will feel it. As we stay committed to the Father, as we stay committed to his design, to please him, and listen to him. For Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 10 Verse 10 is this great mystery, and there's a lot of stuff in that verse that can be unpacked, none of which I can really get to right now. But um, anything that suggests that everyone, regardless of their faith, right, believer or not, will be judged by Jesus is uncomfortable, if not shocking, for most American Protestants. What I can say is that try to think about what we hear Paul saying here as a performance review from an employer that will never fire you. If our goal is to please God with our whole life in our earthly tent, then don't we want to eventually know how we did? Don't we eventually want some kind of evaluation, right? If, if we're going to begin an eternity of doing the same, right? Pleasing God in our heavenly home. Don't we want to know what our areas of growth are? let like, just, I mean, just think about that. But the tragedy, I thought, of this movie uh, came at the very end. You know, it could be because, you know, Clark, is a, he, he survived all this, you know, this crazy things, uh, the, you know, the rest of his family, his family's still intact, his marriage is still intact, and Clark look, looks at all his, success, all his success, and I think it's actually the last line in the entire movie. Clark simply says, I did it. I did it. Family, <laughs> when you and I get to the end of our earthly journey, We're not going to say I did. it. Christ did it. Christ did it. And since, since Christ died for us and rose to give us life, we are then compelled by his love to offer our life in his name, even when our home is a wreck. Christ gave up his home for a time so that we could be at home with him forever. So then come home to yourself. Don't disconnect yourself from your bodies, from your home because it's not what you thought it would be and everything you hoped it would be. But come home to yourself and live with true peace and true power and seek to please the Lord there. I know your home's a mess. (laughs) So is mine but we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in need of your grace. We are coming toward the end of 2020 and it couldn't have come any sooner. And yet we know, God, that so many circumstances um, The the circumstances aren't looking at a calendar. Somehow, some way, we've got to be able to put our hope in something stronger than December 31st at midnight. That clock will tick, Lord. And there'll be troubles waiting for us on the other side. But you, God, are strong. You, God, are mighty. You are the one who has taken that which is corruptible by death and raised it to life so that it is incorruptible. And you have given us a sure hope, Father, by sending us your spirit, your indwelling word to be with us. To remind us that we have a foundation that cannot be shaken. And, Lord, that foundation, oh, what an appropriate word, because there can be no home without a foundation. God, we pray that you would be at the bottom of our homes, that you would be at the bottom of our bodies, that you would be at the the bottom of our dreams, that you would be at the bottom of our groanings, and that you would set us in a place, Lord, a, a sure place, become our rock so that no matter what comes, no matter uh, what we may be facing in the next few days or in the next few years, that we would continue to be a people who are filled with peace and power from on high. And that these things, that as they as work within us, Lord, that, uh, that, we, that they would change us and that we would continue to be compelled for love's sake, to pour ourselves out weak and broken as we are for the life of the world and to please you. Oh God, how is it possible that we little people can bring you any pleasure and yet we can? How much dignity, especially when we look around God and we wish that there are people we could please and we just can't get there. And it is destroying us We can't even please ourselves sometimes. And yet, yet, (laughs) yet we bring you pleasure. God, would you restore to us the high calling of our humanity? Help us to live it out, to walk it out, knowing that we do not see you face to face now, but one day we will. And when we do, God, we will give praise and glory and honor to the name of Jesus (laughs) as the day is long. We look forward to that day. In this season, we look forward to, we celebrate your son coming again. Whenever that happens, Lord, in your good timing, may we be found ready May we be found with hearts that welcome your coming, that are ready to rejoice over your kingdom. Because all along, your kingdom has been dwelling in our house. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.